Well, good morning, church. It's great to be up here this morning. It's been a few years since I've been up here with the opportunity to bring God's word. And I'm actually very thankful that uh, it was put off a few months because uh, as those of you who lived overseas in different places know, when you come back to your home culture, you're deeply enculturated. So you come back and those first few months, you're just kind of awkward because you've been used to communicating in a different way and your body language is different and you come back and it's like, oh, I got to look them in the eye. I got to shake a, you know, firm handshake here and you just, oh, I feel awkward. So I've had a few months to just kind of get back in the groove in America um, and I'm super excited. So thanks for the, for the privilege and it's my pleasure to be here this morning. So this morning's lesson, the title is Enduring All that they may obtain salvation. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning, and I, I want to make really clear, is that um, we need to understand God's big picture and the fact that fulfilling the Great Commission was, has always been God's heartbeat. We need to see that this morning. We, we need to like own that so that we realize the part that we play in that. So that's the first thing I want to talk about this morning. I want us to see that the, the Great Commission originated in the heart of God from the very beginning. And then I want to, uh, I hope that from God's word, we can also see and be convinced of the fact that we as followers um, must be involved in this task. It's, it's, uh, it's been given to us to do. So I'm going to give an introduction. We're going to kind of go through that. And then I want to really get into the text. Uh, this, what we just read, is a really powerful text. And there's so much that we could talk about. And actually, Second Timothy is an amazing book. Um, but we're just going to focus on these three examples that Paul gave about... Um, a soldier who wants to please his commanding officer, and about the athlete who he's going for the prize, he wants that victory crown, and also the hardworking farmer. So we're going to look at these three examples that Paul gave, and we want to apply these to ourselves as we endeavor to help fulfill the Great Commission. So that's the context. So that's the context we want to think of things today. Since we're here for the missions conference, I want to think about these things and the context of how do we fit into fulfilling the Great Commission, and how do these how do these examples apply to us? So, in the beginning, right after Adam and Eve sinned, and they rebelled against their creator, it wasn't long after that that God made the promise, and he promised that there would be one day, one who would come to rescue mankind. So he crushed the head of Satan, and he would deliver people from the power of sin and the power of death. And this is the first prophecy that we see right there in the beginning that's pointing towards, towards Christ. Um, we also see that, so years after that, about 4,000 years ago, we know of Abram, whom God chose, uh, and he made promises. He changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of nations. So he promised many things to Abraham, but one thing that he promised, he said, through one of your descendants, all of the nations are going to be blessed. And then later he repeated this promise to Isaac, to Jacob, and then later to King David. And then we see in the Old Testament how there were prophets. We just, it was so cool, just actually going through all the Old Testament books, these prophets, these Old Testament prophets, hundreds of years before it was to happen, they prophesied concerning the one who would come to be the Redeemer. All through the Old Testament, we see this building, momentum building. 2,000 years after Abraham lived, Gabriel, the angel, came to Joseph, a man named Joseph, and said, uh, Mary, the one that you're going to take as your wife, she's going to have a child of God, and you're to name this child Jesus. 
And I love, we, we don't get into it much in, um, in, in English in our sermons in America, but there's so much meaning in every name in the Bible, including Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. So how cool of Gabriel to come and say, you're going to have, Mary's going to have this child from God, and then his name will be Yahweh saves, Jesus. Super cool. And this was the one that God had promised way back in the beginning, thousands of years before uh, we just talked about in, the, in Genesis 3.15, when he first made that promise, he was talking about Jesus who would come. Jesus was the, the Christ, the Messiah, the ones that the, the prophets had written about. He was the one who would be the Redeemer. Jesus lived a short 33 years. We know this. He died. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. And right before he ascended to heaven, he gave his final uh, commands, his marching orders to his followers. And, you know, Troy said this morning, I caught that he said, Jesus, our, what do you say, our Savior, um, our Redeemer, our Lord, but also our Commander. Our Commander. That's what I want to add to that. And he gave his marching orders to his followers. And we can see in the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the ones that wrote down the, the, the life of Christ, at the very end of each of their letters that they wrote, we see what Jesus said to his followers, those that would, would, be, would come after him or claim to be ones who are his, his people. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded. And he also told them to baptize them. So this was his final thing that he said to them, his final marching orders. And we see through the book of Acts that Jesus' followers were committed to that. I mean, these guys who were just timid nobodies, now he said, wait in Jerusalem, you're going to receive the helper. When he comes to you, you will be my witnesses. To right there in Jerusalem where they were at, and this thing's annoying. I'm not used to this. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the furthest regions in the globe. And they were faithful to do that. And these timid men, when, they, when power came upon them, when they had the helper, Jesus said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the helper, wait for him. When he came, these timid fishermen and these guys without education were just incredible. And they were obedient to the commands of their, of their commanding officer, Jesus. And they went out and they spread this news, the good news about Christ. And then we also know about Saul, who became Paul, right? The Lord kind of struck him down. On the road there, he chose him, he set him apart, and Paul turned and, and followed Christ. He changed his name, obviously, Saul to Paul, we know that. And he became one of the greatest proponents of the gospel, the good news. And Paul wrote many of the letters that we have, that, which creates the bulk of our New Testament, we know that. And so we're going to be diving into that here in a little bit. Well, after Paul, the church continued to spread. Um, actually, this month, this month of October, we kind of celebrate... A really tragic thing that happened to William Tyndale it was about 500 years ago. Um, tied, he was uh, tied to the stake, strangled, and then burned. And what was his crime? His crime was translating God's word into the English language. Pretty hardcore. And that's, yeah, this month, they don't know exactly the date, but they say October 6th is the day you kind of celebrate the, the death, the burning of William Tyndale for translating God's word into the language that we speak. Over the years, God's followers continued to endure hardship for this cause of taking the gospel out to the nations. Um, about 300 years or so after William Tyndale died, which was 160-something years ago, uh, one of my favorite 
missionaries is um, John Payton. He was a Scottish man. And <clears throat> he went to the New Hebrides, halfway around the world from his home, which is present-day Vanuatu. If you know where that's at, it's sort of northeast from Australia, some islands there. And uh, man, he lived on this island called um, uh, Tana. And he went there, and his wife, uh, she actually had her first baby there. His wife died soon after, and his, his son died, Mary and his son uh, died soon after. And, but he, was, he, he continued to stay there. He actually moved to a different island. The people were so hardcore. This is in the South Seas back in the day when they were just warfare all the time and full-on cannibals. But he went over to, he remarried and lived on Aniwa and worked among the Aniwa people for another 30-something years. He lost five out of his 10 children over those years. And in 1899, I think he finished the New Testament in the Aniwa language, and God did amazing work there. Yeah, that was about the same time frame. Other missionary giants that we know about, um, who are some other ones? Livingfield, he was in Africa about that time. Um, about 50 years before, um, uh, yeah, what was his name? Went to Africa. I'm sorry, he went to India. William Carey, thank you. Yes, William Carey, about 50 years before, was, was there. Hudson Taylor was also in China at about that time. So this is sort of the time where you get all these missionary greats. But since then, things have been going on. People have continued to take God's word and go out and been faithful to their great commander and his final command. And even here, times roll by, things have continued to go on. Rocky Bayou, you know, 17 years ago, in the last 17 years, we've sent out quite a few folks to go out to the nations, including my family. Uh, it's been a wonderful thing to be a part of. And October is, for our family too, sort of a, a time of anniversaries. It was in October of 2003, actually, that we stood there and were ordained and were sent out. That was the first time we went to Indonesia. And seven years later, in October 2010, was when the Wano Church was born. So, exciting month for us. I can remember, even still, Thinking back to some of the testimonies um, after, you know, we had spent, it took us a long time of preparation to learn language and culture and translate the scriptures, and we taught chronologically, starting in the beginning, up through the life of Christ. And um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing time, but I can remember some of the testimonies. And we, we laid a lot of foundation through the Old Testament, and we got to the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. There's a lot that understood the church was born, but I can remember specifically two examples that, uh, that some of the guys said. One of them was concerning the temple curtain when it tore, and he said, So he said, when... He said, um, <laughs> that was Wano. It's fun to speak again. He said, when, when Jesus died, right at that very moment, the temple, the, the temple curtain tore from top to bottom. And it was, it was right when that happened that I understood that it was what Jesus did that opened up the door for us to be joined again with God. <laughs> so cool. Another example somebody said about Isaac and the ram. He said, at itchak up. So just like Isaac was bound, he couldn't save himself. He couldn't go anywhere. 
Just like that, I was bound. But God provided a sacrifice and a replacement for him. So cool. So cool. But just like that, God it was what Jesus did. He was my sacrifice. He was, became my replacement. So, so cool. And, and um, you know, the church was born so ten, yeah, 10 years ago now. And uh, since then, you know, the Wano people have come to maturity and faith. And even now, these guys who are just total bush people are um, involved in taking God's good news, being, fulfilling the Great Commission and taking it out to new areas. And it was so neat because uh, Troy got to, got to see a part of that, along with Doc Latham. They came in and we, we went around, and I got to see some of the even satellite churches that the Wano people had, had done on their own and had planted. So it's, it's amazing. And God has always been about and continues and will be about in the future, magnifying and glorifying his name, name among, the nation, among the nations. And he's made it very clear through his word. It's clear, it's not hidden. Very clear through his word that we as the church, it's our job. We are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And we need to put much, much energy and sacrifice into seeing this accomplished. So as an introduction... As an introduction, I hope that we see that from the beginning, it's been God's plan, from the very beginning. It's not something that just came in, just that Jesus threw out there at the end. It has been God's plan from the beginning that all the nations would have opportunity to hear about the good news. And the good news is concerning Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. This Great Commission, it's not, it's not a side thing. And I was kind of looking at the bulletin. You know, we, we have our ministries in the church. We have, you know, men's ministry, women's ministry, children's ministry, Awana, uh, counseling, we have all these things. Yes, we do all those things. Of course we do all those things. That's what we're to be about. But it's not that we have all these things and then we have missions as well as, as a side item. Missions is the big picture. It is, it is the purpose. It is God's heartbeat. It's not that we set things aside, but it is it. That's it. Everything else should be encompassed within that. Let's, uh, let's look now at, at God's word. Let's turn to to Timothy, or if you already have it open. Now, I have, I have an NIV. In fact, this Bible was the one that, was, that uh, I was given right here at Rocky Bayou. And actually, right after this sanctuary was built, it had just been, we used to meet in the Genesis Hall. Um, but uh, we had just built this building, and I graduated high school, and this was given to me as a high school graduation present. And it's still my favorite Bible today. But it's NIV. I know we've, it's old school, and we've switched to... Uh, ESV, but I still like to use this, and so this is what I'm teaching from this morning. So let's look at, I'm not going to read it again, we just read it, um, but 2 Timothy, this was the second letter that Paul wrote to his disciple Timothy, and this is actually the, his final letter. This is the final letter that Paul wrote, period, and um, he died soon after writing this. So you can kind of sense in this book, you, you kind of sense that he feels, you know, his time is nearing the end. Uh, and it comes out. And he wrote to Timothy to be faithful with the commission, to be faithful with his life, to pass on these, what he's learned, what Paul had taught him. Uh, and it's interesting about Paul, too, because we read in the book of Acts, it just kind of, you know, I've translated the book of Acts, but it just kind of hit me the other day that Paul, he didn't, he wasn't, you know, when he got saved, 
uh, when, 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 God, when Jesus met him on the road and he turned his life to faith in Christ, he didn't just go automatically and hang out with the disciples, the ones who had been with Jesus. He's actually spent very, very little time with them. So we see that God had given him special revelation, and he used that to, to give us all this great teaching and these letters that he gave out to the different churches and individuals. But here in 2 Timothy, it's his final letter, and he really wants to, he wants to hammer home what Timothy needs to do and to be about. So he encourages him, pass on these things to other men, faithful men. He encourages him to endure and be faithful to the things that he had been taught and endure till the end. He urges him towards obedience to the Great Commission. So this is fitting for our study this morning. I think we can glean a lot from this letter, but I just want to focus on a few verses. So we, we know we're going to talk about these three examples. The first one is of the soldier. So let's look again at three and four. Sorry that I'm reading from the NIV here. I know it's a little, a little different from ESV. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. What, what does the ESV say there for commanding officer? The one who enlisted him. The one who enlisted him. Okay, I like commanding officer better. <laughs> the one who enlisted him or the commanding officer. So Paul gives us an example of how a soldier is to act. And we've heard the Great Commission, I mean, many times. Troy, he says it every single Sunday. We're hearing about the Great Commission, and I love it. But what is a commission? You know, we hear about it. Sometimes when we hear something so much, we just even lose, we lose thought. We get numb to it. But what is a commission? A commission is, it's our duty. It's a duty. It's a charge. It's a responsibility, a stewardship, an undertaking, or a job, task. This is what Jesus gave. So when he gave to his followers the great task, the great stewardship, and it is a stewardship, and it wasn't just given to those that were with him there at the end. It was given to all who claimed to be his followers. If we claim to be his follower, we're here we say we're his followers, it's for us too. And we have to own it. And it wasn't, it's, not, it's not an option. It is, we have to own this if we, are, if we claim to be his follower. It was given to us. Because for those of us that have faith, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, we have put ourselves underneath his authority. He is our commanding officer. We have chosen to put ourselves under his authority. And that comes with responsibility and stewardship. He is our officer. We are his soldiers. Paul exhorted Timothy to endure hardship with us. He says that no one who wants to be pleasing to his commanding officer will involve himself with civilian affairs. And since Jesus is our commanding officer, and we want to please him with our lives, this command is for us as well, not to be involved with civilian affairs. This is the example that God gave us through his word, through what Paul wrote. We're not to be involved with civilian affairs. So what are civilian affairs? What, what do you think that is, or what does it look like? I had to think about this, because I, I, I wanted to be accurate in what I'm telling you guys. But I think that it's just the details of this life, the cares of this life. It could also be distractions and pleasures in this life. And looking back at William Tyndale and guys like John Payton, they knew these scriptures. They owned these scriptures. They knew they were under Christ's authority. And they wanted to 
be faithful with their lives and what God had for them. And that drove them to obedience, which is worship. And I want to talk about worship for a minute. Actually, you guys gave me some ammo this morning with one of the songs we sang. Worship. You know, a lot of times we think of worship, that's the time we come together and we, um, and we you know, we sing to God. Worship is showing worth. It's, it's showing worth to somebody or something. And so, indeed, we can, as we sing, that is one really good way that we can show God's worth in song. But that's not the only way. It's part of the way. You know, and we were talking about Hudson Taylor, um, who went to China. He said that the greatest form of worship is obedience, and I believe that. And this morning, I just, uh, I want to just look back at one of these songs that we sung. It was a really cool song. He said, we said, this is what all of us sang with, with loud voices. Um, let me get to it here. Uh, sorry, second song. There was one stanza that was really good. Here we go. The first, the first chorus. I will go where you send me to the ends of the earth. Just say the word and I'll go. Wow. I think if we, if we sing these things, we need to be thinking. We need to mean it. If you... Just say the word and I will go. That struck out to me this morning. Say the word and I will go. Well, he said the word. He gave the command and it wasn't an option. You're my followers. This is my command. Go. Make disciples. Teach them the things that I've commanded you. And if we believe that this was just for them, just for those guys that lived back then, then we believe that all the Bible, the whole New Testament was just for that generation. I don't believe that. I believe it is for us as well. And these words are for us as well. He did tell us to go. He tells, us, he tells us to go. Now, I realize that not every single one of us should go. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But what does that mean for us to go? Because this is what our commanding officer has told us to do, and we are to be about it. Paul encourages us to be obedient. He encourages us, not, encourages us through this example of the soldier not to get distracted but to stick to the task and responsibility that our commander has given us. So we need to be careful as we, as we think about this, not to get sidetracked by the things of the world. I, um, man, I get, I get so much inspiration from Brad Buzer. You know, he spoke here a couple of years ago, and people either love him or they hate him because he says some hard things. Uh, but he has earned the right to speak, and I, I love to hear him say, say these things. But one of the things that he said that, I, that has always stuck with me, Jesus' last command, our first concern. Jesus' last command is our first concern, and I love that. He said Jesus could have said anything at the end. He had been with these guys for three years, day in, day out, and he could have told them anything. You know, raise, your, raise godly families for the Lord. Uh, make sure you manage your finances well. He could have said anything, but the thing that was on his heart and has on God's heart from the very beginning, as we saw, you need to go and take this message to the nations. So it's not that we don't do those other things. Of course we do those other things. Of course we raise our children for the Lord, and of course, that, of course we, are, we, we exude Christ, we're lights where we're at, and we try to reach people, and we live lives of faith, and people should see our lives and see that there's something different about us and, and want to know that, what the difference is in us. Yes, of course. That's Christianity 101. But the last thing that Jesus told them to do, he said, go, this is my command. And so that is, those are our marching orders. As the church, let that not become just a side item in the church. It is everything we're to be about. 
So this has been going on for thousands of years. Followers of Christ have been going out and taking the message out, but there's still so much work to do. And I had fun kind of looking at statistics. According to the IMB, uh, there are still over 3,000 or so people groups who are unreached, unengaged, which means that they don't have, they have zero Christians and they're within their people group. And I mean, people group, they have common language, common culture, which is separate from the next one. Within these 3,000 plus, there's even more, 3,000 plus people groups, they have no solid Christian witness or not enough of a Christian witness that can impact the people. And many of these groups have no Bible translation in their language. And this is huge, guys. This was something that really rocked me 20 years ago <laughs> when we started this journey into missions. Uh, man, I, was, I, was, um, I, I got news of that. There's people on the earth that still, they don't even have one scripture in their language. And I was just rocked. And I, was, I remember feeling at that time a lot of compassion, but also a lot of desire to be obedient as I, as I understood God's word, to be obedient to what he had uh, for me to do. I never felt a calling. I was just like, wow, hey, it's there, and there's the need. And um, I think we could do it. So the Lord has helped us along the way. 3,000 groups. Um, that's pretty staggering. It's pretty sobering. And especially for, uh, for those of us in this room who maybe been to different places where we've seen, um, you know, how people, what people have. There are a lot in life. And I've said this many times over the years as I come up here. None of us in this room chose where we were born. We didn't choose to be born here in North America at this time in history. We, we could have been born in North America, but a thousand years ago, and it would have been a different situation. North America, this time in history where we have access to God's word in our language, very clear. Churches on every corner. We've got now, you know, so much now with YouTube and everything else, we have so many resources. Now, when I went to the field, when I started training actually 20 years ago, at that time, in the English language, we had over 300 different choices of getting God's word. Depending on the translation that we wanted, multiple translations, but then what cover we wanted, the color, the style, the size of the font, over 300 different choices. And today, 20 years later, we actually have over 700 different choices in the English language. And yet, I would say most of those 3,000 groups, they don't even have one option. So to me, that's staggering. You know, that says something kind of about our culture and our Christianity. Is that fair? that there's 3,000 groups still waiting and we have 700 choices. I don't think it is personally. So there's still so many groups that are waiting to have one. So more statistics about um, our denomination. As of 2019, I found this on Wikipedia, we have 47,530 congregations. 47, over 47,000 congregations. And then members, 14,525,579 members. I don't know how they get it down to the exact member, but um, so over 14 million members to our denomination alone. That's not even saying the other denominations. 47, over 47,000 congregations. Imagine if within our own denomination, if less than 10% even adopted one of these people groups and raised up and trained well goers and then 
lifted up those goers and supported them to see one of these groups reach, it would be done, guys. In 20 or 30 years, we would be able to see the Great Commission fulfilled in our lifetimes, a lot of us. So I think that could happen, but will it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It could happen if we were to get our act together. But I think in order for us to do that, and for, for, in order for that to happen, we would have to disengage ourselves with civilian affairs. We would have to disengage ourselves, cast aside civilian affairs, and dedicate ourselves to being about Jesus' great command to go and make disciples and teach them to obey. Let's go to this next example of the athlete. Let's read 5. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. All right, here's another good example. So you have this athlete. If he's going for the victor's crown, he wants to be number one. If he wants to reach that goal, he has to compete according to the rules, which means he can't cheat, which means he can't take shortcuts. And in the same way as we endeavor, as the body of Christ, to take the gospel to these unreached people groups, these nations, we got to follow the example and guidelines of good communication and close relationships. These are both necessary. Good communication, close relationships, they're both necessary to sharing the good news. Without those things, it can't happen. We can't take shortcuts in trying to reach people with the gospel. We've got to obey the rules. We've got to go, we've got to do this job according to the rules, the examples, the guidelines. Fulfilling the Great Commission, this is really important, and this is something um, not in this church, because we, we have a very good understanding, thanks to Troy, not in this church, but as Christians in America generally, we, we don't really understand well what the Great Commission is. It's not evangelism, or it's not just evangelism. It's not just evangelism, but it's Seem, is making disciples evangelism, but then teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. And that's where a lot of the work comes in. That's where a lot of the work comes in. So evangelism is like the first leg of the race, but it's a relay race, and there's many more steps to it. Jesus modeled incarnational ministry, and he modeled life-on-life discipleship. He is our example. He is our model. He was, he was and is Yahweh, who is the creator. He came to earth and became a man. He was God with us, right? Emmanuel. He lived full time with us. He was an insider. He became an insider. And we must do the same thing. So as we send people out and as we go, for those of us here who are goers and who will be goers in the future, we need to own these principles that were modeled to us by by our Lord. Living full time to become an insider. Learning language and culture which means learning and learning the language that's most meaningful to them. It might mean that we have to learn two or maybe three languages. Wow. But that's what it's going to take to become an insider, to earn the right to speak, to be able to speak meaningfully to them in the language that's closest to them, closest to their hearts. We need to earn good favor in the ear of those we want to reach. And there's so many different examples. Imagine that you're out with the people that you're trying to reach and you're just you're so happy to be there and you're smiling and you're just every time you see them you're trying to be you're trying to make make sure that they realize that you care about them and you're smiling and your teeth are showing all the time and eventually you get to the point where you can start to communicate and a guy says why are you always angry 
And you're like, what do you mean? I'm, uh, I'm so happy to be here. I love you. What are you talking about? No, why are you angry? You're always showing your teeth at us like a dog that's growling and angry. And you realize in their culture, like, to show your teeth is, is a sign of anger. And you've been doing this the whole time. You didn't even realize it. Yeah, there's, there's stories like that. Or, you know, you're, you're trying to show love to a neighbor, and, you're, oh, your little daughter, she's so beautiful. And they're thinking, why are you touching my kid's head? That's the most disrespectful thing you can do. And you're using your left hand, the hand that you use to wipe yourself with. And you're just thinking, oh, I just want to show how much I, I'm, you know. <laughs> Becoming an insider is so important. What about if you walk into their house with shoes on or sandals on? Man, that's honestly been the hardest thing coming back because that's, that's like anathema in Indonesia. And so um, it's been hard. Every time we go, to, go anywhere, into someone's house, we always take our shoes off to go inside even though we don't need to. What about this? I mean, I'm, I'm proud of my Bible. I love it because I have duct tape on it and it's all beat up and I've taken it with me everywhere. But what if I have this out in public and the people that I'm trying to reach are thinking, man, that guy really disrespects his God. His religion must be really low because we always, our, our religious books are pristine and we only keep them in the house and we only look at them at certain times. And we, look at that ratty old thing. I'm thinking like, man, I'm cool. Just look how much I love my God. And they're thinking, man, you really dis- disrespect your God. So we, things that could be in good, done with good intent and according to our culture are going to look totally opposite in some of these places where we try to reach. So it's important that we understand. <laughs> See Tanya shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> that we understand. We must be culturally appropriate. And to me, this is, um, my whole thing in this is that really we can't take shortcuts. We can't take shortcuts. Going, doing, this, doing evangelism is part of it. That's the first part. But doing it in a culturally appropriate way, in the language that they speak, in the culture that they are in, those things are important. That's, that's competing according to the rules in my mind. And that's how this example fits for us. God was... Jesus was God among us. He was Emmanuel. And we also must be culturally appropriate. We must train our people to be culturally appropriate as they go out. Lasting discipleship. We talk about going and making disciples, and there's a lot of models within missions today. But going and making lasting disciples takes time, and it takes proximity. And it takes a lot of hard work. And those things can't be done short-term, and they can't be done a lot of it can't be done uh, over long distances. It's been difficult here. I mean, I, I feel it being here and with um, our friends in Wano. We can only do so much from here, but being there with them on the ground, way more can take place. So just like the athlete who's serious about getting the victor's crown, just how he's focused and disciplined, he's disciplined. Let us be the same way when it comes to the Great Commission. We need to be disciplined. We need to be serious about our strategies. We want strategies that work, that are based in just good, solid things that make sense. Learning language, learning culture, going the distance, living with the people. We can't let ease and comfort influence our strategies in reaching the lost. I really believe that. And let me tell you guys, these remaining 3,000 plus groups, they're unreached for a reason. All the easy ones have already been gotten. (laughs) They're unreached for a reason. They live in countries where the government is hostile towards Christianity. Us as Americans, it's getting more and more difficult. And some places where people loved Americans and you go in kind of as a hero, now they're like, oh, they're kind of bottom of the barrel. So even as Americans, it's getting more difficult. People from other countries have easier times among in certain places than we do as North Americans. 
But these unreached people groups, they're like that for a reason. They live in countries where the governments are opposed to Christianity. And if you go there, man, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be super hard. Super hard to live, super hard to be productive when you have people that are looking at you all the time. You're going to be under intel, surveillance, people questioning you. You might end up in jail, and you could end up killed. Living in huge slum cities in Central Asia, India, among horrible conditions with governments that don't want you to be there, it is tough. And that's why these groups are still in the condition that they're at. On the other hand, you've got other people, the reason that they're unreached is because they're geographically isolated. Some of the groups that we're targeting now in the, uh, in the area of Indonesia, in um, the area that we're at, they live in mangroves, swamp mangroves that come up to the coast where there's more bull sharks and saltwater crocodiles than human population. But these people, they're there, nobody wants to go there. And there's small people groups. Who wants to give 20 years, 30 years for a people group that's only 500? Maybe slightly more than we have in this room. That is their people group, but they have their language, they have their culture. And they're not going to understand unless you go and you learn that and give it to them and live among them. People don't want to do that. People don't want to go to places like that. And that's why these groups still remain the way that they are. Over 3,000 of them. It's going to take a lot of resolve to finish the work among people that that are in areas like this. But the job has been given to us, and we must be committed to fulfill what our commander has told us to do. And this isn't a, this task, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It is a marathon, but it's not just a regular marathon, it's a relay race marathon, where it takes a team to do it. It's just not one person going for the end, it's, it's a, it takes a team and partnership to do this job. Let's, um, yeah, I want to, one more thing I wanted to say, you know, doing this work, uh, you know, so much emphasis is on the folks who are the goers. But those guys who are the goers, I mean, they're like the ones that are picking the fruit from the tree, but the tree is really high. So in order to get there, they're going to have to be on the shoulders of others, of a lot of others. And these others are uh, bearing the burden, the weight. And that's the other section of the body of Christ because it's not just about the ones that are out there. God has given his body. This is what's so cool, because it's not about us. It's all about God. He had it in place in the beginning. He saved us. He's the one who's given us the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives us our spiritual gifts. He gives us our natural talents. He gives us life, intelligence, perseverance, and in the end, he gives us eternity. So it all comes from the Lord. So our job, we need to realize we are to be about fulfilling the Great Commission. What part do we play in this? Some of us will be the guys that are picking the fruit, but a lot more of us are going to be the guys that are holding them up, holding that burden with prayer and with support and partnership. And there's not one job that's more important than the other. They all work together. And if you didn't have one of these jobs, it would be an impossible task to do. Like I always go back to the, talking about pilots and mechanics. Where we were, lived in Wanoland, I mean, it is out there. There's no way we could have gone to that place and worked among those people unless we had a huge 
support, just not, not to mention everything else, but just the pilots and the mechanics alone. Without them, it would have been impossible. So there are so many links in the chain, and it all works together for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. So it is all very important. It is a marathon relay race. Let's continue and read this third example where Paul talks about the hardworking farmer. So this is in uh, verse 6. Paul says, The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. It's a nice short verse there. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So what do we take from this example as we apply it to our task of fulfilling the Great Commission? I think we see from this that it's a promise. As we work hard, as we work hard with the garden, (laughs) in the vineyard, however you want to say, that we are guaranteed a harvest. God will guarantee a harvest as we work hard. God did, uh, Paul didn't say the, you know, the lazy farmer. He said the hardworking farmer. He's going he's to be the first to receive the, the harvest, some of the harvest. And so I believe that if we work hard, we're going to receive reward. So what is this reward? This reward is going to be the joy of seeing others come to Christ. Um, it's going to be the joy of seeing just the joy and light in their eyes and the changes in their lives as they come to Christ and then go on to maturity. If, if we're not just going, we're not just doing evangelism, just like we talked about competing according to the rules, we're there to teach and train and disciple the things that Jesus commanded, and that takes time to see the people come to maturity. But if we do that, we're going to be, we're going to be so blessed. I personally have seen it and experienced it, and it has been amazing. I think when Paul says he means the hardworking farmer, he means hard work. And again, something I've experienced in my own life and, and with our family. And, and, but it's not unique to us. It's the same for, for everyone that goes out and does this kind of work. Gospel work among unreached people is incredibly difficult. We're talking about incredible stress and spiritual warfare. It's real, guys. <laughs> Physical hardships, sickness and other forms of suffering. But not only for us men, I hope there's men in this congregation that are going to be goers in the future. I really do. It's my prayer. That's why I'm here this morning. But not just for us guys, it's for our wives and children as well. The hard work is hard work for them as well. And uh, the... um, the different pressures, stress, sickness, persecution, suffering, it's going to come on our wives and our children as well. This is something that we need to be ready for and prepare our families for. But from the toil and sweat and all that suffering, sometimes blood, <laughs> comes an abundant harvest of souls. That's what we're promised. And all this could seem daunting. I know I'm talking about some heavy things. I hope they're not too heavy because I feel like I'm being super light. Yeah, actually, my first, my first message, Libby was like, no. <laughs> She's like, no way. And I don't know, is Pam here? Ken, Pam, and, Pam and Ken, Pam's not here. I mean, man, she's heard me before, goodness. It's hard work, but this is our job to do, and we are guaranteed a harvest. Um, I love the book of John, John 10. 
we see that Jesus is talking about, he's talking there in his context, but it also applies to the nations. He's, he's talking about the Jewish people and others outside of the Jewish nation, but which includes the nations, the Gentiles. He said that there's sheep, other sheep that are not of this fold. And he said that, and as we go out, as we send people out and prop up the burden of the work going on overseas, what we're doing now, but as we continue to in the future, and as we work among these people, and we, uh, we compete according to the rules, we're doing our jobs well, we're working hard in their culture, in their language, we're going to see these folks as we teach God's word, they're going to hear his voice, and then he's going to rescue them, and no one will snatch them out of his hand. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. We also see from John in Revelation, at chapter 7, you guys all know that, 9 and 10, how in the end there's going to be people from every tribe, nation, tongue, speaking every language around the throne, worshiping God. So we're going to see people represented from all of these groups, including the ones that are living in these slum cities surrounded in smog in Central Asia, and these little groups that are living in the mangroves of 500 people. They're going to be there. The job is not yet done, but there will be people represented when it's finished from all these groups. They're going to be there. And God has given us the great privilege and joy and responsibility and stewardship of being about getting it to them. And there's no reason we can't do it. There's no reason that we can't do it. This message is so important for us, I think, in America, because we've been blessed with so much. We have the, there's people from other cultures who are solid, man, they're fired up, but they lack the resources that we have in the English language. So it's difficult for them to do a Bible translation or create curriculum. They just don't have the resources. They might have the Bible and that's it. They have nothing else. We've got so much so much, and we have wealth and power and the ability to get out to these groups. Let us also have the heart to do that. So our job, our mandate, is the commission that can't, it's, it's the mission that can't fail. It's the mission that can't fail. We see that. We know it's going to happen, and we know God will use us in his timing to reach this goal. And it can't fail. And that's a beautiful thing. That's something that we can be confident about. And something that I've always said this too. You know what, what's so cool as we think about this and what part we play in this is that we, we can't lose. And there's nothing to be scared of. You know, God is the one who orders our days. We see that in scripture. He determines the boundaries of where we live and the times in which we live, which means when we're born and when we die. The Lord already has it ordained. He's got it orchestrated. So we're not gonna perish one second before our ordained time. So we can be excited. We can go out and just go hardcore and do anything for the Lord, knowing that, man, I'm in his hands until his appointed time. So we shouldn't be fearful about doing things that are hard for God. And that applies to everything in our lives, right? There's still so much work left to be done, and it's still our watch. It's, we're on watch, guys. We're not sleeping. We're on watch. As we're alive here, this is the time God has for us. There's work to be done. It's still our watch. So we've looked at some good points, these examples that Paul has given us. And I'm going to start to, I'm not going to land the plane, but I'm going to dock the ship. I'm starting to dock the ship. We're pulling in. <laughs> no planes landing today. And I want to wrap up looking at what Paul continued in 8 through 10. Let's read over, let's look at that now. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, Descended from David, this is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything 
for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Man, there's so much, there's so much packed into there that we could talk about, but I just want to, I just want to focus on the last, the last thing that he said there. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is Christ Jesus, that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And this is our key verse for this morning. Paul was faithful. He endured everything. We see that when he was writing this letter, he was in prison and had been in prison for years. And we know the life of Paul. And we think, yeah, he was just hardcore, set apart from God. That was his lot, which it was. But he is our example to follow as he followed Christ. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And yes, that's what we do. We're still on watch. He endured everything for the sake of the Great Commission so that others would have the opportunity to obtain salvation. He was faithful to his commanding officer to the point of literally being in chains. He endured everything. So what about us? Can we be a church that also says that? And I know we are in many ways, but there's always room for improvement. Can we be a church that also says that? I've endured all. I've given it all so that these folks would have an opportunity to hear. One I've talked about before and others have talked about before. It's not about everybody in one people group having opportunity to hear. It's about someone from every group having opportunity to hear. I think that's another Brad Buser quote. I love that guy. It's not about everybody from one language having opportunity, but somebody from every language group having opportunity. We need to be about it. It's still our watch. Can we be a church to say we're willing to endure uncomfortableness and suffering and hardship for seeing people that have no opportunity have opportunity and have hope? We don't understand. We can't envision it because it's outside of, what we, of our experience. It's floating out there somewhere, but there are people, they literally have no opportunity. They have nothing, even if they were wanted to. They have, there's no scripture. There's no one to teach them, and we're on watch. So what would this look like for us if we're going to seriously be about what Paul said? to endure hardship and suffering, to endure it all so that others have opportunity to hear in these unreached regions. I think one of the things it's going to look like is us seriously educating and training up our children, a lot of children in our congregation, training them up, our young people, to be goers. And they're going to be the tip of the iceberg. They're going to be the little part that's sticking out, the visible part that's out of the water. But not all of us are going to be that tip. Most of us are going to be the huge bulk, the mass of the iceberg that's sitting below the surface, unseen, but supporting that little tip that's visible up there, the tip of the spear. Most of us are going to be that. So what does that look like for the rest of us? I mean, we can imagine for the ones that are going what it looks like for them, they're going to endure all that kind of stuff because they're going to be out there. But what about the rest of us? How do the rest of us take application of these principles? How do we endure hardship as a sender, a giver, or a supporter? One of the things I think about that I know we all know this to be true is to pray sacrificially. Praying sacrificially. So how do we pray sacrificially? It means time spent in front of the TV or entertainment is changed and becomes time spent on our knees for the nations, for our missionaries. Giving sacrificially of our resources, our money that we spent, that we spend on many things that are non-necessities, it's big in our culture. It's big in our culture. Money that we spend on non-necessities becomes money spent, spearheaded towards this work of reaching these nations. 
so that these others have opportunity to hear. Giving sacrificially of our time. Time spent on hobbies and pastimes becomes time spent in partnership, working with those who are going and seeing these nations reached, holding the ropes for our teams overseas. Instead of laying up treasures on earth, laying up treasures in heaven. These are things we know well. These are things that we know well. That's what I love about God's word. It's just so clear. There's so much that's black and white, yet our culture just, this fog just rolls in. <laughs> it makes it so complicated. And we're like, well, that's what it says, but I got to check, I got to check my Bible app and I got to check this and that. There's just so much that complicates our lives. Just read the word. It's clear. It's there. Nothing's hidden. Laying up treasures on earth. Instead of that, we should lay up treasures in heaven. And I know this just isn't Mike Wilde's opinion. Man, we hear it every Sunday from Troy. We hear it from a lot of people. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.1, he said, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And we all play, play a critical part in seeing the unreached and unengaged peoples come to, the, come to have opportunity to know truth. This is the final thing here in 7. Let's go back, just go up a little bit in verse 7. Paul says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And I love this because that's exactly what we're doing. We've just read God's word. And I believe... I believe, I know, I've seen it. God's word is powerful. That's where the power is. It's not in somebody up here babbling. I mean, God uses people, but the power is in his word, and that is what we've just read. So I believe in the power of God's word. That's why I prepared this message, and that's why I'm up here this morning. If I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't waste my time. But God's word is where the power is. And Paul says, reflect. He tells Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight. So that's what we're doing this morning. We're reflecting. We're going back and and. These are verses we've all read before, but we're thinking about them. We're trying to think, how do we apply these now to ourselves? This is what we're to do. I believe that God's word, because it's powerful, it can, it can challenge our hearts, not only that, but steer our lives, can steer us in the direction that God wants us to go. Paul endured all things, all things, so that others may obtain salvation. Will we follow in Paul's footsteps? Because we all have equal opportunity to do that. Each of us must, must take these words to heart and determine how to apply them to our lives and the lives of our families. We need to reflect, we need to pray and ask Jesus, who's our Savior, our Lord, our friend, but also our commanding officer. We need to ask him, what do you want me to do? I am under your authority. What do you have me to do, Lord? And in the midst of that, we need to be enduring hardship. And it's going to look differently for each of us. But as we, some of us, we stay, we pray, we give, we support, we participate sacrificially. Not on the side, not as a side note, sacrificially. This is what we're about, Lord. As we do that, as other, others of us go, we need to be raising up our children. Some of these young ones in here will be the next to go. But it's going to be up to us, our parents. It's up to us. We need to be about that. Not the world's about you and what you want to do and your talents, and it's about what does the Lord have for you, and these are the needs before us, and you got an amazing mind. The Lord could use you. These are what we need to be teaching our children. So as we do these things, God will give us wisdom. He promises to do that. As we ask for his guidance, he will give us wisdom, and he's going to help us corporately as a local body here. He's going to help us corporately to fulfill his purposes with our lives, and that's what he wants to do. So thank you for these few minutes. I pray that 
Well, let's pray. Instead of, a, instead of me telling you what I'm going to pray for, let's just pray. Lord, we do thank you this morning. Jesus, you went through so much for us, becoming a human, living with men and women, giving your life for us, ascending again, giving us your marching orders before you return to heaven. We know you're coming again one day to judge the earth, and we don't know when that's going to be, but we trust that to you. And until that time, Lord, I pray that we would focus on the things that we know are clear in your word. There's, there's some things that are, they seem unclear, but we, your marching orders are so clear, Lord. I thank you for these words that we can study this morning that are in our language and so clear and so easy to understand. Let us take them to heart, Lord. I pray for every man and woman and child that are here this morning, that they would be thinking about these things and opening their hearts, Lord, to how you want them to be used, to how you want to use them, for how you want each of them to endure hardship to see this work done. Lord, make it clear to each of us what you want us to do in this next season of life, Lord. May it be clear we, we're thankful. We're thankful that we can gather here this morning openly and, and for the comfort of this place. Lord, you've blessed us with so, so much, so we thank you. And we want to put ourselves under your authority in every area of our lives, including the Great Commission. So help us, Lord, and we love you. And I just want to close our time in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.